Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is episode 22 in the book of John, entitled Sickness and Death for the Glory of God, where we discuss John chapter 11, verses 1 through 27. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis in his office, and we're going to talk about this passage together today. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses that we're going to look at? Oh, one of the greatest statements ever made about Jesus is in the text we're looking at today. Mm. Uh, John eleven twenty two, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Mm. Um, just the, the terror that people have all over the world in every culture of death. Mm. And the fact that we really have no answer to it. Even uh, medical researchers that are looking at, you know, solutions right now we're going through the COVID-19 phase and and all over the world people are dying not in large numbers percentage-wise but still people are dying from this and there really is no solution even if this thing totally gets conquered people will die of something else Mm -hmm. Jesus his resurrection his power over death is the only answer to the problem of death in the grave and so it's exciting to be able to talk about it today I'm looking forward to those powerful statements you mentioned and and reflecting on those together so let me read John chapter 11 verses 1 through 20 for us as we begin. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, My brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. 
Andy, right away in verses 1 through 4, we're introduced to three individuals who are described in what seems to be a unique level of detail. Mm -hmm. Who are Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and what is their relationship to Jesus? Well, if all we had was this chapter, we would know that they stood in some kind of close friendship um, to him, that he knew them, he loved them. Um, and uh, there's affection on both sides. Uh, they send a message saying, Lord, the one that you love is sick. Mm -hmm. So Jesus in some effective and powerful way has expressed his love for Martha and Mary and for Lazarus, and they also have expressed their love for him. Uh, but we also know uh, later that, um, uh, that Mary is the one that's going to anoint him, and uh, we also have the story of Martha and Mary uh, in another place in Luke's Gospel where they're preparing a feast and the sisters seem to have some difficulty with one another uh, hmm. because Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha is bustling around, um, you know, cooking a hundred different dishes, I guess, I don't know. I mean, just really wanted to make it special. And Jesus really affirms Mary's sitting at his feet to listen to the doctrine. And, and just said Martha was too worried about worldly things and she should just sit and listen as well. So, so we know a number of things. That, at any rate, for our purpose here, they are uh, a family, uh, two brothers and a, uh, two sisters and a brother who love each other and love him. And Jesus is going to step into that situation as there's a great tragedy and he's going to address it. Mm. As we move through the passage, what does Jesus mean when he responds to the initial news that mm. this illness does not lead to death? Mm -hmm. And does the death of Lazarus prove Jesus wrong? Mm -hmm. Well, no, he ra raises Lazarus from the dead, and so that particular sickness was slam-dunked with, with victory. Um, mm. But Lazarus is dead now, and uh, ultimately Lazarus died. So in, in no sense, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. This uh, resurrection of Lazarus is not like his own resurrection from the dead in which he can never die again. Uh, and then the resurrection we will all experience that Jesus himself refers to in verse 25 and 26 when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. That resurrection is a resurrection to a whole new order of life. However, this particular case, this particular circumstance was orchestrated so that God's son might be glorified, so that Jesus might raise him from the dead. That's what he means. So this particular case, this illness, this time will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God. Mm. So does any sickness for a Christian truly end in death? And how is the Christian's view of sickness and death different from that of the world? Well, we could use the word end saying immediate end and ultimate end. Okay. So um, we know that ultimately we will not die, only live. Uh, the, the real death that the Bible speaks of is the second death, which is the eternity and death in mm. the lake of fire. That's Revelation says the lake of fire is the second death. That's what death really is ultimately. And no Christian will ever die in that sense. We need to keep that sense in mind when Jesus says, he who believes in me will never die. We know that Christians die every day and it's an even addressed in the New Testament. So we have to understand the two different kinds of death. Some sicknesses do end in the physical death of Christians and we need to be prepared and we know that and we're aware, we've seen it, we've been to Christian funerals, etc. But the ultimate uh, death never happens to Christians. How should that affect our attitude as Christians then as we think about death? Mm -hmm. Knowing that some sicknesses do in fact end in death and that mm -hmm. if Jesus doesn't return, we'll all face physical death. How should that affect our view of death? Well, we need to keep those two deaths in mind and understand that it is appointed to all of us to die the first death, except that we might be part of the mysterious final generation that will be alive when Jesus returns in his great second coming glory. Mm. So that's the exception that Paul refers to 
in 1 Corinthians 15, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. So the final generation of Christians, which will be a vast number of people because population just keeps expanding. So a huge number of people will actually never physically die. But if we are not in that final generation, <clears throat> then we will die. It is appointed to us to, to die, Hebrews 9.27 tells us. Uh, and so how should we approach that? We should realize that that is part of the wages of sin that comes. Uh, it's part of being uh, in, in Adam, uh, that, that we will die physically. And should, we should not be afraid of that. However, we should take every means that we can to get better. We should see doctors. We should um, take prescribed reasonable medications. We should pray for sick ones who are dying, that they should be uh, recovered. And when they do die, we should grieve. Uh, there is a grieving. Jesus weeps here in this in this chapter. And so it's reasonable for us to weep. But First Thessalonians 4 said we should not grieve like those who have no hope. So we grieve knowing that we still believe in the, in the resurrection of the dead. Hmm. In verse 4, what is the glory of God, just mm -hmm. generally speaking, yeah. and how would Lazarus' sickness ultimately glorify God? So I, I've repeatedly defined the glory of God as the radiant display of his attributes. Attributes then are adjectives, descriptions, answering the question, uh, what is God like? Or what is our God or the God of the Bible like? How would we describe him? So there are different attributes that theologians have drawn out, such as God's power, God's omnipotence, God's knowledge and wisdom, um, God's patience, God's um, wrath, justice, um, mercy, grace, different attributes. And so whenever those attributes are on display, we see what kind of God he is, that's the glory of God. Sometimes there's a, a shining light to them, like when the angels celebrated the birth of Jesus, the glory of the Lord shone around. Or in the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem, there's no sun or moon or the light of the lamp, the glory of God shines. So in this case, it's not a physical, visible light, but it's a spiritual light that shines. Jesus puts on display his power over death here. We see him as powerful. We're also going to see him as compassionate. He's extremely compassionate in this chapter, and that's an attribute of God. So that's how God's Son is glorified in it. This is a great chapter for suffering Christians, for grieving Christians, to realize the tenderness of Jesus, his love, the way he orchestrates trials for his own glory, the way that he's with us and walks with us through it. There's so many attributes of God's Son that's, that are on display here. Mm. And maybe you can speak a little more to that, particularly right now, you mentioned mm. earlier the fact that the coronavirus and COVID-19 mm -hmm. is much on everyone's mind right sure. now. How could this verse transform our own understanding of how God might use our own sicknesses for his glory? Well, uh, first of all, if it's us, if we ourselves are the ones sick, we should not be sick like those who have no hope. Hmm. We should be sick and even die like those who do have a hope. If we are in the final throes of death from COVID-19 or from any other disease, could be glioblastoma, uh, you know, brain tumor, hmm. it could be something else. But if we're aware, and it's not always the case that we're aware, sometimes we suddenly drop dead like from a heart attack or a car accident. But uh, other times, if we're aware, this, this could be it. This could be the one that takes me out of the world. We should die well. We should die as those who have hope. We should realize that we have not received the promises of God. We're like aliens and strangers in this world. And that we have the, all of the best promises of God are yet to come. Mm. And so we die in hope, filled with that joy. I'm going to see God face to face. I'm going to a place where there's no more death, mourning, crying, and pain. That I'm going to receive a resurrection body. I'm fully confident of these things. And then your, your spouse, your brothers and sisters, maybe even your parents, 
your children, your friends, church friends can see you, can see your countenance, they can see your confidence, and they can derive strength from it. Lost people can say, you have something I don't have, mm. and I want that. So to die well. Um, if we are not the one dying, but we're alongside the person, then you know uh, we are able to realize if the person that we are loving is themselves a Christian, that we can have that same kind of confidence and, and we can feed their faith and strengthen their faith and speak to them so that they die well. Uh, meanwhile, we're gonna try to hope that they don't die. We're gonna pray toward that end and get them whatever medications. So we should not be afraid of death ourselves. We're talking about a contagious illness here with COVID-19, very highly contagious. That's why it spread so fast to not be afraid, to step in if we're called on, not everyone is, but if we're called on to be very close to someone who has that illness, we should take every precaution, you know, with gloves and masks and all that, but we should be there and we should love them and try to help them. So those are some answers. That's very helpful. You know, we've talked already about how this passage speaks of Jesus' love for this family, Mm -hmm. but when we get to verse six, it seems to fly in the face of that assertion. Talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about Jesus' response in that moment and then what this teaches us now about God and our own trials. Well, let me me just give you a translation problem here. All right, this has to do with the translation I use, which is the NIV 84. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can read verse five and six. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet... When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That doesn't say that in the Greek. It doesn't say, what's your where your translation say, the beginning of verse six? Verse six says, so when. So. So. So because he loved them. But the NIV 84 translators just, I don't know, it just seems so obvious to me that you're gonna stick with the Greek anyway. It says, mm. because he loved them, he lingered two more days. Jesus wanted Lazarus to die. Mm. Out of his love for them, he wanted Lazarus to die. It's the most amazing thing. But we need to be able to say, not despite the fact that he loved them, Lazarus died. It was because he loved them. Now, his his case is unique. But he wanted his power over death to be put on display. Mm -hmm. Not his power over sickness or fevers. He'd already done that. He wanted a spectacular resurrection. And Mm -hmm. so that's what we have in this. It's remarkable. Days that went on where Lazarus was in the tomb. And so it's, it's really a powerful display. So we need to understand his lingering the extra days was out of love for them because he wanted to show his power over death. So then in verse 7, he tells the disciples or says to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Mm-hmm. And in verse 8, the disciples are seemingly reluctant to return to Judea as they had previously faced down this murderous mob. Mm-hmm. And Jesus again seems to appeal to the urgency of his task even in the face of of opposition, as well as the disciples need to continue to walk in the light. Mm. Then in verse 11, Jesus describes Lazarus as having fallen asleep mm-hmm. and of his task as to go and awaken him. Mm. How did Jesus know that Lazarus was dead? Mm. How did the disciples understand Jesus' statement? Mm. And how does the way in which Jesus speaks of raising Lazarus from the dead mm-hmm. speak to Jesus' power? Well, first of all, Jesus knew that Lazarus had died because he is God. And so frequently he, we have this remote knowledge thing, like for example, the Syrophoenician woman, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. Well, who told him that? He just knew. And so that's just the, the continual fellowship he has with his father and the fact that he himself knew. He just knew things that no other man could know. And it's a, an intense, overwhelming mystery, the mystery of the incarnation, because there are some things Jesus didn't know. So sometimes he has spectacular displays of omniscience, and other times there are things he didn't know. And there's no way you can harmonize omniscience with not knowing something. 
So it's just the mystery of the incarna our incarnation. Some things were hidden from him in his incarnation. But other times he just lets shine, almost like he's got this radiant garment underneath and he's got this burlap kind of thing on top. And occasionally you just like, glory shines out like through the through the the seams mm. and that's like the amount of transfiguration it's like he can know things and when he's done being god incognito and and hiding his glory he's going to put it on full display mm. so at this point he just knew lazarus had died so no one came and told him there's no messenger that came how did the disciples understand jesus statement about mm -hmm. lazarus having fallen asleep initially but, well it's like well if he's, if he's fallen asleep, then he'll be fine. I don't know why they would come to that conclusion because sometimes there are some fevers where you're, you know, you're, you're in a deep sleep and can't be woken, almost like mm. comatose. But they're just all over the map and they're wrong in their, in their assumption and they did not understand the figure of speech Jesus used. By the way, this is plain, this is a plain text for proving that occasionally the Bible uses the language of sleep, asleep to mean death because mm. Jesus just plainly straight out says Lazarus has died but he just a moment ago said Lazarus has fallen asleep. So that just proves that sleep sometimes um, can refer to death. It's good to know that. Sure. And when Jesus talks about his task being essentially to go and awaken him, mm -hmm. how does that speak to Jesus' power? It's just as easy for him to raise someone from the dead as to wake up someone from sleeping. It's the same. Mm. So you think about times that you've gone to wake up a friend or your spouse or you know, another person and just shake them a little. Some people are easy to wake up. Some people are incredibly hard to wake up. I remember I had a friend in college that, I mean, I feel like you could light his toe on fire and he wouldn't wake up. But um, you know, other people are easy. But whatever it takes, you wake them up, you shake them a little and they're awake. Jesus can that easily raise the dead. It's really quite remarkable. There's no, there's no effort with Jesus' miracles. It's not a striving and then it happens. It's just omnipotence. <laughs> Whatever he wants to do, he can do. Yeah, yeah. So finally, they understand that Lazarus is in fact dead. And again, mm. Jesus kind of explicitly says what you mentioned a moment mm. ago, that he had waited on purpose, that yeah. there's, there's something that needs to happen so that these disciples mm -hmm. and others might believe. Yeah. Um, and then Thomas, his statement here, let us yeah. go with him that we may die also. <laughs> well, that's Thomas. That's Thomas being Thomas. But uh, verse 15 is really remarkable. 14, 15, Lazarus mm. is dead and for your sakes I am glad. Yeah, that's that's, a, it's strange. <laughs> but here's the thing. John 11 is one of the great chapters on the emotional life of Jesus. There's so many emotions he displays in this chapter and this is one of them. He has a supernatural, strange, we might say from our perspective, gladness here. And again, it goes back to his purpose. He's glad not that he's dead. So it reminds me of Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He doesn't enjoy being crucified, but he enjoys what it will produce. Mm -hmm. And so in the same way, he doesn't enjoy putting us through trials. Count it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. We shouldn't count the trial itself as joy, but what the trial produces in us. And so Jesus is the same way. For your sake, I'm glad he died so you can see what I can do. But for the thing itself, he's not glad and he's going to be weeping you know, in, in a short time over the grief that this has caused them. And we'll talk more about that in due time. Yeah. In these next two verses in 17 and 18, uh, why was it significant that Lazarus had been dead for four days? Mm -hmm. It's a detail in the text. And yeah. the proximity of Bethany to Jerusalem is also mentioned. Maybe sure. we can talk about why those are significant. Both of them are significant for the same reason. Jesus is going to be put on display. This is going to be the most spectacular 
the most famous miracle he ever did in his life. It really was the thing that pushed his enemies over the edge. They're like, we've got to do something about this. Everybody's going to believe in him after this. They actually even wanted to kill Lazarus. I guess we'll get to that in due time as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, no, I would fall on my knees and worship Jesus. I wouldn't try to assassinate Jesus and Lazarus. But um, it's close to Jerusalem, so it's going to be very famous. And the four days, I think there are different ways of understanding death or near-death experiences, you know, we come up and might put a mirror under somebody's nose to see if there, it fogs a bit. Um, there are others that could go even beyond that and do CPR or whatever, but four days, everybody knows it's done. Yeah. And so back then, I think they had some superstitions or whatever about how long the soul or the spirit lingered near the tomb, but by the time four days comes, there is no conception of even the possibility mm. that Lazarus is he's dead. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's reflected even later uh, in the text, not in this passage we're looking at today, but later in the same chapter, yeah. where there's just this sense, even amongst those there, even his sisters saying, yeah. "No, he's we're sure he's dead." Yeah, there's there's no hope, and and not only that, in a warm climate, he's going to stink, and mm. so there's already decay coming in. There's mm. just so the, the the four days is just the decisiveness and completeness of death. Mm. And when Jesus finally arrives in Bethany, Martha goes out to meet him and Mary remains at home. Mm. What do Mary and Martha's reactions to Jesus' mm -hmm. arrival in verses 20 through 24 teach us? Well, first of all, let's just talk about Martha and Mary. I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier um, their personalities were a bit on display in the whole uh, Martha and Mary thing with um, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him, drinking in his person, drinking in the, the teachings more of a contemplative sort. She's um, deeper in her feelings, perhaps, um, deeper in her emotional connection to Jesus. And Martha is a doer. She's, um, she's out and about. She's active. She's energetic. She doesn't love her brother or Jesus any less than Martha does, or Mary does. But she's, she's a woman of action. And so she hears that Jesus has come, and she gets up and goes right out to, him, to mm. him. And she's the one that has the famous conversation with him that leads to his incredible statement in verse 25, 26. It's Martha, not Mary. But Mary eventually does come. And uh, there's such a connection. We'll get to that, I think, next time. It's mm. beyond our text today. But um, you know, he's pretty emotional when he sees Mary because she's pretty emotional when she sees Jesus. Mm. So you've got a doer in Martha and she's going to come out and have this conversation and she's going to talk to him about you know why he was, you know, a couple extra days in coming, etc. but that's that's what we learn about about them and what we learn about Jesus is his deep connection to both of them and his love for them and for Lazarus. Mm. In verse 25, we have this statement that you mentioned right at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, Jesus makes this I am statement mm -hmm. stating, I am the resurrection mm -hmm. and the life. Mm -hmm. What did Jesus mean by this and how should verse 25 and 26 fill us with hope? Yeah, I, mean, I didn't fully answer your question last time. So let me just talk about the conversation. When Martha comes out, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's the exact same thing that Mary's going to say when she comes. Mm. And so she has full confidence in Jesus, but she's shaken. They both are. There's a question, it's like, why did you wait? If you had been here, if you had come right away, when we sent you a message, it's like, I don't understand. I don't know what you're doing. And I really want to kind of dive into Martha's attitude and Mary's as well. Sometimes, providentially, there are going to be some things that will happen and we just will not understand what God is doing. Mm. We don't get it. I don't understand why you didn't answer prayer here. It didn't make sense. I think about when Adoniram Judson dug his own grave after the death of his wife and his child. He's like, God is a great unknown to me. I seek him, but I, I don't find him. I don't know what he's doing. 
And, and we can get to those places where we just say, I don't understand you. I don't understand why you didn't come. So there's Martha's statement. And, and Jesus says to her quite directly, your brother will rise again. So, so the thing we have to realize as we uh, think about Jesus, we've got to cling to his words. He never says anything amiss. And when he says, your brother will rise again, that ends it, that settles it. Whatever happens right here and now, your brother will rise again. And it's so beautiful because he extends that to anyone who believes in him mm. will rise again. But there's that, that powerful statement. And then Martha, you know, she says, I know he'll rise in the resurrection at the last day, you know, at the end, you know. Um, and so she had a theology of resurrection, and, but, and I don't want to minimize that. I think that's where we're going to end up. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to end up with our loved ones. If, if one, someone we love dies in the Lord, we're going to say he'll rise at the last day. And that's good, good enough. But Jesus wants to, to still work on her understanding of that. And so he, he zeroes in on that and says, I am the resurrection and the life. So it's just these I am statements are so powerful. John 14, 6, I don't merely teach the truth or speak the truth or love the truth or, or understand it or live it out. I am the truth. It's like I'm the, I'm the final destination of the truth journey. When you're done with truth, you, you will find me at the end of that journey. He's going to say the same thing with the resurrection. I am the resurrection. It's not like I just raise people from the dead. When I raise them, I'm what they get. I will, I will raise you up out of the grave, and when you are raised, you'll see me there. Mm. That's what I am. I am the resurrection, and I am the life you will live after you've been raised from the dead. I'm the life you live now. It's not just I do resurrection or I understand or I've got the technique of resurrection. I am the resurrection, and, and I am the life. And then he makes this statement, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. Mm. So there it is, Christians will die, but that's not the end. They will live even though they die. So we've got to cling to that, you know, as we're praying for loved ones, that they would get out of the sick bed. James 5 says we should do that. We should pray for those that are sick and God will raise them up. And sometimes he heals them, but we know this, God will raise us up from every sickness in the end, even the one that kills us physically, we will live. So that's the first half. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And then whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So that's got to be understood as the second death. Mm -hmm. Makes no sense apart from that. The first half of, this, of his statement shows that we, will, we could die. So what he means is you're not gonna actually experience the real death, which is eternal separation from God. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Mm -hmm. And then he asked Martha this very important question and it stares in, at, at all of us. Do you believe this? And so, Honestly, I want to go right to the end of, of chapter 20. Mm -hmm. Jesus did many other miraculous signs which are not recorded, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's the same teaching. So the question is, do you believe? You know, we, all of us have to answer that. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that if, I, that if you trust in me that you will live even if you die, and that if you live and believe in me, you'll never die? That's what we, it stands in front of all of us. And Wes, I know you believe that, and I know I believe it. So, praise God. Yeah. And that question stands out for us even 
uh, for those who are listening, mm -hmm. to ask that question, do, do you believe this? Do mm -hmm. I believe this? And so it's mm -hmm. such, a, such a sweet question. You spoke about Jesus' words not being wasted, and this yeah. isn't either. And so mm -hmm. what it does is it evokes a response here, mm -hmm. and uh, Martha's response is, is beautiful. What, mm -hmm. what is the significance of her response? You kind of spoke to mm -hmm. the purpose of the book, the end yeah. of the book, but the significance here for Martha. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. So she is already at where John, the gospel writer, wants us all to get. She's mm. already there. And so for me, that's the great joy as well. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the promised one, the Messiah, the son of David, mm. the one predicted in the Old Testament. But he's more than that. He is God the Son. He's the eternal God, and he is the focus of my worship and of everything that I am. And so, to me, that's the joy of this whole account. Mm. Well, Andy, any final thoughts you have for us on this passage? <laughs> oh my, <laughs> how can I answer that? <laughs> what, my final thought is, thank you, Jesus, for saving me from my sins that I could live forever. And I hope that all of you who are listening to this podcast have the same faith so that you can have that same joy in eternal life that we have through faith in Christ. Amen. Well, this has been episode 22 in the book of John. We'd invite you to join us next time for episode 23 entitled, Lazarus, Come Out, where we'll discuss John chapter 11, verses 28 through 57. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.